Today's scripture reading comes from John chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, and then verses 30 through 46. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Martha and her sister, sorry, village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when the Lord heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and was greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and you, that, you are, that you always hear me. But I said on this account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, welcome. Welcome to Trinity. My name is Jonathan. Get to serve as a pastor of our church. Uh, real quick, any of you into March Madness? Anybody watching the games this weekend? Have been watching them? Yes, a few of you. I just want to brag a little bit. We have a community group leaders pool and poll. Last I looked, yours truly is at the top. All right. There is a reward for the community group who wins. And so we are going to get that pizza party or whatever it is that is on the docket. So right now, my community group is in the lead with, you ready? Here's my choice, don't boo. I'm from the East Coast. All right, we're pulling for Duke, Coach K's last season. This is a big deal. UCLA lost the other day, which was awesome. Okay. <laughs> anyway, enough madness. Here we go. <clears throat> we're in John chapter 11. And uh, we have been enjoying going through this. We just have a couple of weeks left. We are getting close to the end of our series, which we began in the fall. 
We began this sometime around September, and then we preached through around Christmas. We did an Advent series, and then we're doing another chunk of John, this series that we have entitled, That You May Believe. So we're a couple of weeks away from finishing and then transitioning. So John chapter 11. This is the raising of Jesus' dear and close friend. His name is Lazarus. You may think of Jesus as having only a few people who are kind of affiliates, people who are around him. Maybe it's the 12, and of course, if you're familiar, he has a couple of the 12 whom he's even closer to. But Lazarus is actually described as a very dear friend of Jesus, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But this is probably his greatest earthly miracle, leading up, of course, to Holy Week, which is the most amazing thing that Jesus displayed and did, the laying down of his own life and his own resurrection. But the resurrection of Lazarus is the greatest of the seven signs, the seven miracles that Jesus performs up until John chapter 11. Brief reminder where we've been and what Jesus has done leading up to the resurrection of Lazarus. So here are the miracles recorded in John's gospel. The first one was he turned water into wine. This is John 2. Then he heals an official son in Capernaum. Then he heals an invalid at the pool of Bethesda. Next, he feeds the 5,000 near the Sea of Galilee. After that, he walks on the water on the Sea of Galilee. Then he heals a blind man in Jerusalem. We looked at that recently. And then here, number seven, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And I want to, the reason I bring those to your attention again is because it's important to be reminded that in the Gospels, when Jesus performs a miracle, it's not a raw display of power, as if he's just trying to attract a crowd or mesmerize the crowd, bring people into his orbit. In fact, it's nearly the opposite. When you look into the Gospels, Jesus is just as often warning people from following him than he is trying to get kind of a crew to come in and follow. He has a lot of things on both ends of the spectrum. You need to be careful. You need to know what you're signing up for. You need to know who I am if you're going to follow. The miracles in the Gospels aren't just about kind of raw displays of power. They are glimpses of the kingdom of God. But they're pictures of who he is. They're pictures of the type of reign that he's going to have. Even if we were to break this down for a moment, a few examples. Water into wine. I don't know if you like to party. Jesus liked to party. This was the first of his miracles, remember. Water into wine is a symbol that under his reign and under his rule, there's going to be no end to joy and celebration. When Jesus raises this official son from the dead, what he's saying is, under my reign, under my command, there will be no more death, no more decay, no more waiting, no more delay. I'm coming to fix all of this. When Jesus gives somebody back their sight, what he's saying is, I'm the one who's in charge of all things. I'm the one who helps you see again. If you want to see reality, come to me. And so when he raises Lazarus from the dead, we, we shouldn't just say as a skeptic, no way. There's obviously delusion going on in the story, and I'm going to touch on that at the end. Nor should we just say, how amazing he's so powerful. These are glimpses of the fact that our greatest enemy, death, has met more than its match in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on in this seventh miracle. So, of course, when we start to dive into the themes of our great enemy and death, we're reminded that we live in a moment in history where we are bombarded with, right now, images of pain and suffering and death. 
especially in a place in our world called the Ukraine. We see what's going on there with that particular war. We have to be reminded that that's not the only war going on. But of course, there's also pain and suffering and difficulty, not just on the other side of the world, but in your world. And so you should be leaning in and saying, is there something that can provide resolution to what's going on in our world? All the darkness, all the hurt, all the brokenness out there, but all the brokenness in here. And Jesus says, there is an answer come to me. He brings the attention to himself. In the person of Jesus, there is an answer for the most difficult things we face. And this is what John 11 is going to bring us to. So three movements I'll take you through. Number one, we're going to look at the ministry of truth. Secondly, we'll look at the depth of love. And then thirdly, the words of life. All right, so the ministry of truth, the depth of love, and the words of life. Now, John chapter 11, caveat, it is a really long chapter, and we only got to read about half of it up front. So I would encourage you to have a Bible open or a Bible app open. If you want a Bible, we've got some you can take home on the back table. Would love it if you took them home, especially if you don't have one. But have a Bible open. I'm going to be taking you to different portions of this text that we did not read. But let's go to verse 1. Verse 1 in the ministry of truth. Verse 1 says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. We're going to look at that next week. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. That's a statement that's essentially saying, this will not terminate in death. Death is obviously part of the story, but it's not going to end there. So he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is really interesting, isn't it? If you're paying attention to those first six verses, here we are introduced to, as I mentioned before, a certain man. His name is Lazarus. His sisters are somewhat famous. You may know them from Luke chapter 10. If you've been a part of the church, they were introduced to Mary and Martha, their different demeanors, the things they do for Jesus. Mary just sits at his feet, and Jesus says, she has chosen the better. There's so much to learn from the story of Mary and Martha, but they have a brother, and his name is Lazarus. And we find that Mary and Martha send word to Jesus saying simply this, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now, I love this because <clears throat> there is no request. There's no statement of need. I mean, there's no like, Jesus, come right now, come quickly. All that these women send word of is, Lord, he whom you love is is ill. It's amazing. It starts to talk about the dynamics of this relationship that they have. In other words, they're like, I don't even have to say it. I know Jesus's compassion. I know what he's like, and I know his love for our family. Jesus, he whom you love is ill. It's as if somebody came to me and said, Jonathan, your oldest son Mason has had an accident. They don't need to tell me to come. I'm going to do anything that I can do to get beside my son in that moment. So you notice there's intimacy built into this text. Not even a request, just saying, Jesus, the one you love, he's ill. Now, these people, they're like family to Jesus. And of course, what's going to happen is there's a delay. And this is what is so interesting about verses 5 and 6. Look there with me. 
Verses 5 and 6 are so surprising because it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. This makes no sense on the surface. Jesus, we're not even going to make a request. We know how good you are. You know, we know that you're going to come and do something. And so Jesus, the text tells us, loves him so much that he stays two days longer. And we're not going to be able to spend a lot of time on the concept of delay, but delay is a very important part of the story. When he heard that he's ill, he stays two days longer. What happens is in your life, and probably as you read this story, it's very easy to interpret God's delays as a lack of compassion. Jesus, why is this pain in my life still here? Why is my marriage still so hard? Why am I still so sick? Why am I still alone? It feels as if Jesus' delay is evidence of a lack of compassion. And of course, I don't want to erase that because in our story, it seems like that's coming to fruition right here. Jesus, your delay has led to the fact that your good friend, whom we know very well, you seem to have been able to do something for him. He has now passed away. And Jesus goes out of his way, glance at verse 14, because there's confusion in the story. I mean, the disciples are with him. They don't really want to go back to Bethany near Jerusalem. There's been tension and opposition. So they actually counsel Jesus in John chapter 11, don't go back there. Why would you go back there? Like they're after you. They've tried to kill you. They tried to stone you. You're telling me that now Lazarus is asleep and you want to go back? And he goes, fellas, I told you he's asleep. But what I mean is, He's dead. Verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, so interesting, for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Delay is all over this story. And we're not going to be able to go here, but you start to feel as if what Jesus is saying is, is it better that I wasn't there and it's better that they suffer? so that the glory of God, so that my glory might be made manifest in their life. You see this clearly in verse 4. Just glance at that. Jesus says to them, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. Jesus says, look, I know you want me to come right now. But delay and timing are out of your hands, they're in my hands. And they enter into difficulty. And often we interpret that lack of timeliness, we interpret the delay as a lack of love, a lack of care. But Jesus is saying it's not about a lack of care, it's so that my glory might be made manifest in your life. Just a little nugget that's going to lead us to more of the detail in verse 17. Look there with me. Jesus allows them to encounter the pain of loss and even death in order for his glory to spill into their lives. And then he goes to Bethany, and the first person that he meets isn't Mary, whom we read, but it's Martha. So let's go to this conversation. Verse 17, the ministry of truth. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. That detail will be important. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Jesus gets there four days into the morning. Not the morning as in the early part of the day, but the morning, the wailing and the tears. Most likely the professional wailers have been called. Everybody in this small village is very aware that Lazarus, this young man, has passed away. Tears are flowing. And when Martha hears that Jesus has arrived, she goes out to meet him. But evidently Mary, the other sister, is not ready to have a conversation with Jesus. Now, of course, I'm reading into the text. We're not exactly sure why she stays at home. Maybe she has lots of guests to entertain, but deeply she is grieved. And so she's waiting. She's not ready to have this conversation with Jesus face to face. But I want you to see that Martha is also grieved. And she doesn't hold back. But she kind of gives it to Jesus right up front. What does she say to him in verse 20? She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, is there anger in her voice? Is there frustration in the text? I mean, most likely, we don't want to read what's not there because, of course, she does have this evidence of faith as well. Lord, if you had been here, I know that you would have changed the situation. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Let me assure you, she's not thinking resurrection at all. She does not think, oh, this guy over here, he's going to bring Lazarus back to life. This is not part of what's going on here. She's really hurt. She's really disappointed. And yet she's displaying faith. She's saying, I know your character. That's why I thought you'd come. But even now, I still believe you're good. This is what's going on in her life. And so Jesus replies to her by saying, Martha, your brother will rise again. He's having a conversation with her about a conviction of the Jewish faith, to which she replies as a faithful Jew that she agrees with the doctrine of resurrection. She knows that God has promised that all things are going to be remade. She's agreeing with the tenets of her faith intellectually, the pillars of Judaism. She's saying God will resurrect his people. I know Lazarus will rise again in the end. And here are the most significant words in this story and arguably The most important words in the entire Bible where Jesus in this conversation says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. As the great Eugene Peterson puts it, he wrote, you don't have to wait for the end, Martha. I am right now resurrection and life. See, the future that she is so certain of as a good Jewish woman who has believed from her youth, she knows resurrection is part of her storyline, but the future that she's so certain of, Jesus says, is breaking into your world right now. In fact, that resurrection is speaking to you right now. I am resurrection. I am life. I am the one who holds it all together, and I am here. 
And so you have this inbreaking of what she knows is coming maybe one day. Jesus starts to have a conversation with her, and what he's presenting to her is this ministry of truth, isn't it? He goes, you have some of the truth. You have a, a glimpse of resurrection. You believe intellectually that this is going to happen. But let me tell you, I'm changing that dynamic. That dynamic is not just about the future. That dynamic is about right here and right now. See, this woman, what she's doing is she's ebbing towards despair. You would be ebbing towards despair. The last two years have forced all of us into this reality of despair. All of this grief, all of this difficulty, all of this pain, all of this loss, all of the uncertainty, she starts ebbing naturally because she's human, not superhuman. She doesn't have perfect faith. She's lost a brother, and she's ebbing towards despair, and Jesus enters into her world with the ministry of truth. He's correcting and changing the way she thinks about loss and about pain and about death. And there are a lot of competing beliefs that we are prone to accept in times of pain, in times of suffering. Maybe for you over the past couple of years, you've said something like, man, this pain is pointless. Or maybe you've said, God has no compassion. God is not loving. Or God may be loving, but he's not strong. He can't do anything about this. See, what Jesus does is he enters into her world with the ministry of truth. This is what she needed at that moment. And the reason you know that she needed it and Mary didn't is because the conversation with these two sisters is very, very different. Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. To know me is to live. To believe in me means that the final stop will not be the grave. See, Jesus says to her when she thinks that all is lost and now it's too late, what he's saying is, with me. It's never too late. Right? With me, it's never too late. And then, I love the last part. Let me transition us here. He leans and he goes, do you believe this? Do you believe that, Martha? You know what? If you look closely, she doesn't. She says, yeah, 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 I know you're good. I know you're kind of the Messiah who's coming. I believe this. No, she, she says, I believe in you. But she doesn't say that she believes he's the resurrection. She has more to learn, all right? So the ministry of truth, interacting with what she knew, but challenging it and funneling that grief towards him. I am resurrection. Let me take you to part two, the depth of love. Look at verse 28. The ministry of truth and the depth of love. Verse 28 says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Second sister. It's a little confusing with the Marys and the Marthas, all right? We're talking to the second sister here. Martha has had the first conversation. Now we're talking to Mary. Jesus calls for Mary in verse 32, and she falls at his feet. She's not falling at his feet to worship him in this case. She is falling at his feet most likely because she is 
deep in grief. And she says to him the exact same thing that her sister said to him. Did you notice that? These two sisters in very different places emotionally say the exact same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus does not walk up to her and say, funny you say that. Sisters are so similar. I just had a long conversation with your sister, Martha, about the resurrection. Now come over here, sit down, let me teach you a little bit the ministry of truth. He doesn't do that, does he? And it's fascinating because it's the exact same intro. She's hurt. She's disappointed. But in this case, Jesus doesn't have a lot to say. He doesn't say much at all. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 tells us that when Jesus saw Mary hit the ground in grief and tears, and when he looks at the crowd who is with Mary, because it says that a crowd had come with her, he sees all these people weeping. He sees all of this grief. And that what it says is that Jesus is deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Let me just say, all of the translators and all of the um, commentators say this is a domesticated translation. They were probably scared of actually kind of translating what it really says. What it really says is that Jesus has this deep Anger bellowing up in him. It says that he is deeply moved in his spirit, one word, and then greatly troubled. There's this bellowing anger that's beginning to rise within Jesus. He bellows with rage. And he says to them, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the New Testament or the Bible, verse 35, you could preach lots of sermons on it. Jesus wept. Right? And, and that's it. There's no ministry of truth. It's just Jesus sees Mary weeping. He sees her friends weeping. He says, where have you laid him? They show him, and Jesus weeps. And Jesus begins to cry. No truth for Mary, just tears. Right? He funnels Martha's grief towards truth, but he just sits in the grief with Mary. How brilliant is Jesus? But he knows what people need. We talk about EQ, Jesus had it in doses. I mean, this guy knew what an individual needed at that moment. They even lead in with the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. He gives one truth because she needed it. He gives the other tears because she needed it. Right? And this is incredible because Jesus has just had a conversation with Martha about being what? the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Here's what's so amazing. Jesus knows that within a couple of minutes, they're going to be hugging again, right? I mean, Jesus knows what's about to happen. He knows, man, Lazarus is cold right now. He is about to warm back up. Y'all going to be unwrapping this guy. This guy is coming back to life. You've never seen anything like this. If you came to a party and you had that ability, wouldn't you be thinking to yourself, I'd be like giggling the whole time. Oh, y'all crying. I'm about to do something amazing. I'd be winking at them. I'd be like, look, son, they can cry. Let me just whisper to you. It's going to be amazing. He doesn't do any of that. He does none of that. He just cries with her. Viktor Frankl, I don't know if you've read his book, Man's Search for Meaning, but it's about his experience as a Jew in the Auschwitz camp. And he writes this. He says, There was no need to be ashamed of tears in the camp, for tears bore witness that a man had the greatest of courage, the courage to suffer. 
See, Jesus had the courage to suffer. He knew what was coming, man. He knew resurrection is right around the corner, but he doesn't go there yet, does he? He sits in the hurt and the pain with this woman, and he just cries. He shows the depth of his humanity, the depth of his emotion. But lest we think it's only about love and how much he loved them, of course, he did love them. The bystanders see Jesus weeping. What do they say? Their first response is, oh, look how much he loved them. They did have a close friendship, and they did have uh, a beautiful connection, but at the same time, the depth of Jesus' emotion is not about his love for them. Look at verse 33. What's going on in the context? The context is that Jesus sees Mary on the ground crying, and he sees the people around her weeping. Why are they crying? Not because he loves them so much, but because of the loss of this friend and this brother. Ultimately, he is so enraged because of death itself. Jesus is angry at death. But you got to notice that in the context of how John frames this story, remember that the depth of his emotion isn't just because of relationship, it's because of the loss of this brother. He's furious at the tragedy of the grave. Scotty Smith, he says this, He says, talking about Jesus, he says, You knew that within a matter of moments, your friend would breathe again. You knew he'd walk again. You knew you'd enjoy Lazarus' company very soon, and yet you wept so full-heartedly as you allowed yourself to feel the implications of his death. Those privileged to see your sacred fury and great sadness offered profound commentary. See how he loved him. And here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice the beautiful complexity of our God. Because if there's anything to deconstruct, it's a minimized version of who our God is. You notice that in the first conversation with Martha, he's all deity, isn't he? I mean, he's saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Who gets to say that? The average rabbi? Average rabbi doesn't get to say, I am resurrection, I am life. That which is coming in the future is now found in me. This is Jesus showing up on the scene and going, I am the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Man, I am resurrection. Come to me and know me. I am life. I am righteousness. I am holy. And then on the other side, you have this Jesus who is weak and weeping with his people. See, there's no simplistic understanding of who our God is, and we have gotten really bad at holding tension together. Isn't that what our moment is about, right? The rise of tribalism. I want this idea or this idea, and if you don't hold to my idea, then we don't fit and we can't have a relationship. Christianity does not work like that. Our understanding of God does not work like that. It forces you to understand, is he holy? Is he righteous? Is he a God of resurrection? But also, is he a God who's weak? And the answer is yes. He is both of those things. If you want to deconstruct something, deconstruct a version of your God that looks like one or the other, only strength or only weakness. In the person of Jesus, you have both. And he's so beautifully compelling. I want to know this God who speaks differently to the exact same initiation in the conversation. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And he's thinking to himself, he's coming back. But to one of them, he whispers truth, and to other, he just cries. And this is the beauty of Jesus, is it not? This is who he is. God weeping with us and for us. The profound depth of his love and his outrage over death. Now, you all can get angry about death, and you should. 
but can any of us change it? See, and Jesus says, I can. Let me take you to the last part. The words of life. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. That detail is now important. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes, and he said, he prays to his father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this in a sense out loud. I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him. And let him go. Jesus stands at the entrance of this cave and he has been led to the place where Lazarus is laying and he says to the people around, roll away the stone. And the people who were there, in particular Martha, says to him, that's a bad idea. Do not roll away the stone. Man, it's hot outside. We live in the Middle East. This is not conducive. Maybe if it was day one or two or three, Jesus, it's day four. And at this point, the body is going through a decomposition process. This is not the time to open up this cave. It is warm. The body's decomposing. This is also a very important detail. In the ancient Near East, even within various Jewish traditions, there was a belief that the spirit of a person could hover over a body for two to three days. Now, it was a little bit of an outlier tradition, a little bit of Jewish folklore, but there was the assumption that it was possible. It did not happen very often, but the spirit of somebody could hover over a body for two to three days and possibly re-enter, but not on the fourth day. Not on the fourth day. And so Jesus comes in, out on, the, on the fourth day where there's no possibility of resuscitation, not once the body has begun to decompose. Nobody could reference that strange outlying belief that Jesus really didn't do what he said he did. This guy over here just had his spirit hovering over him for two to three days. Yeah, he looked kind of dead, but the spirit reentered. Jesus is a nobody. That's not going to happen. That's not going to get passed around on the fourth day. And this, of course, adds color to verse 14 where Jesus says, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Also gives a lot more color to the fact that he loved Lazarus. And so what? What was the detail? He stayed two more days. He loved this family so much that he stayed two more days so that there would be no assumption that possibly this strange belief happened. And the spirit was just hovering, and it entered back into this man. He goes, no, 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 I am resurrection. There's no mystery here. I am resurrection. Right? He loved him so much that he waited. And here in front of this bewildered crowd, Jesus lays his reputation on the line, doesn't he? I mean, can you imagine the moment? Take away the stone. He addresses his father for the benefit of those who are present, and the good shepherd calls his sheep by name, and he calls out loud, Lazarus, come out of the grave. And Lazarus wakes back up. 
His life enters back into him. And can you imagine the scene of him stumbling out of this cave and Mary and Martha running back to him and beginning to unbind him? That's Jesus' instruction. Unbind the man. (laughs) Wow. But can I say, that's what he wants to do in your life as well. He wants to bring you from death to life. He wants to transform the inner person. He wants to rework and renew. He wants to change you. That statement in your life, Jonathan, Chris, Sally, Susie, it's specific. It's to you. He he is going to call your name, and he's going to say, come back to life. See, our God is a God of resurrection. He goes, I am, not I will be. I am. And he's also not speaking metaphorically. He says, when you believe in me, even if you die, you will not die forever. The story will not culminate and end in death. What he's saying is eternal life, resurrection life, begins now. Yes, your physical body will die for a moment, but you will not die. It begins today when you believe in me. Now think about the things in your life that you were looking for, all of these counterfeit resurrection strategies. Man, I just need to be back, brought back to life. I just need this part of me to come back to life. Uh, my personality is gone. My joy is gone. My life is gone. My, I don't even know who I am anymore. That's a big part of the conversation right now socially is after so much suffering, so much isolation, we kind of don't have the energy to go back into the world in the same way. What's going to resurrect me? And Jesus says, I am. I will. Will you follow me? Will you trust me? Will you give me everything? Can we stop playing church and start being the church? Resurrected people who humbly go into any place that God has called them and say, I was dead. He has brought me to life. Let me introduce you to him. His name's Jesus. Also goes by resurrection. I am resurrection. I am life. How beautiful, man. This is not just some story that happened and Jesus is amazing. This is something that happened and Jesus is amazing. He wants to do it in your life. Will you allow him? Will you let him? Will you let him have access to your life? Let me conclude here. Those are beautiful words. When he spoke to Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. But can I say this? That the most beautiful words I think actually come at the very end in verse 53. I think this is the most beautiful word in John 11. In in verse 53, we read this. From that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Hmm. From that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. What this means is simply this. Lazarus and his resurrection was the last straw in the ministry for Jesus. This was it. They had had it. They couldn't control him anymore. Too many people were believing. And so they saw that he brought this man back to life and they began to conspire. He must die. And here's the reality. Jesus knew that. And Jesus entered into this man's life, his dear friend, on the fourth day and brought him back to life. In other words, as Keller has said, he interrupted Lazarus's funeral and he introduced his own. See, in order to bring that man back to life, he knew that he would have to pay the penalty himself. See, in order for you to be brought back to life, for your soul to feel again, Jesus said, I will have to die. See, from this point on, in order for somebody to be brought back, Jesus would have to go into the grave himself. 
So it's not just look how amazing Jesus is. It's look what a beautiful Savior he is to me. Crucified for me so that we could experience what he's experienced, resurrection. And then let me just ask this as I close. Do you believe that? Isn't that the question of the text? Do you believe that? If you don't, what's preventing you? The past, pain, hurt, religion. Often it's the church that needs to be revitalized before the city can ever experience change. Awakening is always about the church reawakening to grace. Do not let the the movement of the Spirit be truncated by pride in your life. People around me think I'm a great Christian. You could go, you know what? I never got grace. I didn't understand Jesus. I knew all about him, but I didn't really believe, man. That's awakening. That's why we're a church. That's why we planted Trinity. That's what the gospel's all about. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you just come into this space right here, right now, and bring resurrection, bring life. My own soul is full of death. Sin that separates me from you. Muck and mire and ego and just a consumption with what I want, thinking that I can get my best life now in some other way than you. But you clearly said that you are the life, abundant life, and that's why you came. Holy Spirit, would you breathe and move whatever it is you do upon this place right now in every heart when the church is renewed, when the church is revived, man, it is evidence that awakening is happening. And we want that. We simply cry, do it here, why not now? Jesus, do it here and why not now? I pray that uh, nobody would feel manipulated in any way. Just brought to the feet of Jesus who will offer the ministry of truth or who may just sit and weep with you. I pray we'd see him again, feel him again, sing for him again. Do what you want to do in us, O Holy Spirit, but breathe life and resurrection. Take away the death. Take away the sin. Take away the shame. In Jesus' great name we pray.